to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is episode number 227. Our guest is Steve Davis from Hammer Bullets. He's a hunter himself, wanted to find a better bullet, couldn't find what he was looking for on the market. And so, like many great innovations come, he went in his garage, started tinkering, started trying, and finally built Hammer Bullets. So Hammer Bullets is an all-copper, a monolithic, a solid bullet. We talk not only about Hammer Bullets specifically, but why you might consider running a monolithic, such as a Hammer Bullet. There are many schools of thoughts on bullets out there. Just last week, we talked about Berger and their bullets, so we wanted to give you guys good information on different ideas, different philosophies, and different options for your hunting needs, and let you make an informed decision. I really appreciated this conversation with Steve and the detail he went into explaining his design, the background, the performance, the testing, and all that goes into it. As always, guys, we thank you for tuning in. You can reach us directly with any questions, comments, or feedback to podcast at dexomountaingear.com. And if you're enjoying the show, we would love to see a review from you in iTunes or wherever else you might be listening to this. All right. Let's dive right into this conversation with Steve from Hammer Bullets. Steve, uh, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And spec, you're going to be spec today since we have two Steves on the okay. line. How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. Excited to uh, talk to Steve here about bullets. And, um, you know, with my, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, like I'm, you know, coming from the archery side of things where, you know, I want a smaller hole and, you know, two holes going through it. So more penetration, that, that same kind of concept into bullet design just makes a lot more sense to me. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to to talk to Steve here and uh, understand how hammer bullets are designed and work. Steve, that's maybe a, a good segue. I wanted to hit kind of some personal introduction, background, anything you wanted to share. But uh, Spec mentioned archery there, and I know you have a a background not only bow hunting but competitive archery. But talk a little bit about that and anything else you kind of want to share um, to let listeners get to know you and your story a little bit. Okay, well, I, you know, prior to the whole gun bullet thing, my whole world revolved around archery for gosh most probably most of my adult life um and through you know competition all that kind of stuff you know and then we had children and my wife got tired of finding me at the archery range you know (laughs) and uh anyhow um our progression went from archery to long-range hunting which i think is kind of uh for some people seems odd um, but for me, it was, uh, it just made sense. They were so similar archery, archery hunting is difficult as you know, I mean, trying to get the close and, and of course having your equipment doing what you need and, and making sure that everything's ironed out and you're on top of your game, long range hunting just kind of fit exactly the same thing. Um, so it, it going from, you know, the, the 20 yard shot to, you know, looking at, at long range stuff out, you know, around a thousand yards or so was just a perfect step for us. It just, it made sense. Um, we've, I think since kind of backed off our long range hunting aspirations and kind of been there, done that, never had it go wrong. But as a numbers guy, I feel like 
every time we take a shot like that, the odds go up that I might have a train wreck. So kind of backed off. Well, I'm going to ask a question that's almost impossible to answer. What do you feel like is a, you know, a standard range? And this is a terrible question, but <laughs> that most guys should be, uh, you know, not shooting past. But I, I, I know where you're coming from, you know, and I, I'm of the same the same boat, you know, the whole, the long range hunting thing. Um, I guess I try to stay out of the ethics of it. Um, what, what fits for one guy doesn't fit for another guy. And, and I think that's great. Um, you know, and and the definition of long range, you know, the, it's in the eye of the beholder, you know, Mm -hmm. for one guy, 300 yards is truly long range. And as far as I'm concerned, that's really long range. Um, you know, you, 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 you can't just pull up and make a 300 yard shot. You got to have your stuff together. Um, you know, and then for the next guy, you know, long range, maybe beyond a thousand yards. Um, and that's okay. You know, as long as a guy knows his equipment and what he's doing and, and whatnot, then I'm okay with it. Um, you know, for me personally, um, I fit at this point in my, my personal hunting, I feel like 700 yards is far enough. Uh, but out to 700, I feel like I have pretty good control. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond beyond that, um, we shoot long all the time, you know. And the more I shoot long, the more I know I don't know what's going on way out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and 700 you know, the more a guy shoots really long, the, the long shots don't feel as long. Um, you know, so when, when you're practicing at a thousand yards, then, you know, 600 yards doesn't feel very far. Kind of like archery, you know, you practice yeah. it, practice at 50 and that 30 yard shot feels nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, same, same kind of thing, but you know, the, the whole time of flight and, you know, once, once that bullet leaves the barrel, um, now you don't have control anymore. Um, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. And what happens between then and when it gets there, control is gone. So that, that, that would be the reason I've backed off, you know? And so what I consider standard, you know, all the years that I've spent long range hunting, um, and preparing for the longest possible shot, I rarely ever got it. They're almost always under 500 yards. You know, and frankly, it's easier to get a 300-yard shot than it is to get a really long-range shot. Um, mm-hmm. So I I have quit setting up my rifles for the longest possible shot. Um, I set up now for more of a, a max point-blank range capability, mm-hmm. um, which if, if you're not familiar with that, is uh, if you use uh, a ballistics app, like uh, JBM ballistics, um, it will calculate max point blank range for you. And based on a diameter uh, or a radius of a a target, you know, say five inch radius, um, how far can you zero the rifle and maintain that five inch radius impact? Um, So for years, I kind of did that without understanding it. I would zero my rifles at 300 yards, knowing that depending on the velocity, you know, out to about 400 yards, I could just hold middle. Um, 
but then the actual max point blank range will be figured on a ballistics app. Um, so if you're running, say, a, a 300 wind mag with uh, our 181 grain bullet, um, you can carry that rifle zeroed at about 375 yards and out to 400 yards as long as you hold center center mass you're going to make that five inch radius takes a lot of the thought out of it you can get a range on the animal if it's less than your max point blank range you hold center uh, and, you, and you don't have to think much that's uh, a key aspect to have in the middle of a you know a shot out there in the field and you got a deer in your scope and the less thinking the more simple you can make it the better right yeah it, it just takes the takes the thought process out of going, okay, well, he's, I'm zeroed at 100 yards and he's 325 yards. How much do I need to hold up in order to make that shot? Mm -hmm. um, where if you're zeroed at that max point blank range, you just hold center. Uh, you know, and, and those shots that, that are closer, you'll wind up hitting, you know, a little high, but you're still in the, in the, the, lethal, the lethal zone. And if they're a little longer than you're in, in the low end of the lethal zone, still a good shot. What was it as you were transitioning from archery and getting to rifles and long range hunting, looking at ballistics and bullets and rifle builds, all that, like just leading up to the origins of you developing hammer bullets, what was it that you were trying to achieve or improve upon or what were you not happy with that made you have that moment of, I think we need to try something or I think, you know, I can do better. Or I want to try this idea. What led to the origins of hammer? Well, you know, even through all the years that I was primarily an archery hunter, I still rifle hunted and the quest for the better bullet started for me from the beginning, you know, and for Brian, my partner and I, both of us are of the same mind. You know, it, it, the quest for the better bullet was trying to find that bullet that would terminally do what we wanted without, destroying the the meat um you know the it just it always just violated me to make a good behind the shoulder shot and lose a shoulder even though i didn't hit it uh, and trying to find a bullet that would do that led us into monos or or, or copper bullets um they don't have that uh, uh massive fragmenting that the lead has that lead kind of turns into a a mist almost and creates that bloodshot that you know we've all seen hunting with with lead core bullets mm -hmm. um the the copper bullet you know and our our copper bullet design does fragment we we want the nose of the bullet off and and to uh retain that shank that has a nice square flat front on it uh w without without a mushroom and so in, in, in that quest for the, the better bullet, um, we, we tried a lot of different stuff and we were getting into doing some custom rifle things and like that. And we actually formed a company several years before we started bullets. And the idea at that point was we wanted to get into custom rifles. Um, but breaking into that market is tough and, this whole bullet thing just kind of fell in our laps and we decided, okay, well, let's, let's try that and see if we can't get into the industry there and bought a two axis lathe and set it up in my garage and, uh, kind of figured it out on our own. Um, 
came up with a, came up with a bullet design, um, got it patented and, and kind of took off from there. Yeah. I want to dive deep into your design and all the terminal performance points you talked about before we do. I'm curious, there's, it seems to me there's still a group of guys out there that think they would only shoot a copper bullet if they had to, meaning like regulations, for example, you know, there's States that are mandatory, all copper, all mono. Yeah. And it seems like there's a segment of guys that only think copper bullets exists or have benefits if you have to use them, or that's the only time they consider using them. What should that guy consider? Um, You know, if he's in a state where he can choose to shoot any bullet he wants, why should he consider a copper or a mono? For me, it goes back to the meat loss thing. Um, You know, I growing up, you know, if dad didn't have a good hunting season, we didn't have a lot of meat, you know, and, I mean, it was drilled in my head when, when I first started hunting, you know, shoot it behind the shoulder. We don't, we don't want to lose any meat. Um, you know, and today it's still that way, you know, I'm, I'm still a, a natural lung shooter. Um, and that, that meat loss, you know, it, you know, it's great to blow up your gophers. I don't want to blow up my deer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, but in that, in that also, you know, as a hunter, you know, we're responsible to make a clean harvest, you know, it, it takes the joy out of hunting when, when it doesn't go nicely. Um, and so finding that bullet that would, that would give good, clean terminal performance without messing up, you know, the, the bounty of the hunt, um, and so the, the copper will do that, uh, you know, and we, and we tried a bunch of other copper bullets in our, in our evolution towards actually making it, you know, and there was always some issue with, with whichever bullet that we were trying that didn't quite do what we wanted. Um, and, uh, and there's a, there's a physics paper out there if you, if, if people want to actually dive into terminal performance of a bullet it's it's uh if you just google it it's called uh, shooting holes in the wounding theory and it's uh it's a long hard dry read because it's a physics paper but it goes into exactly what makes a bullet kill um you know and we'll go back to the archery analogy you know it's all about hemorrhage you know, and we, sh- we shut that animal off by shutting down the central nervous system. Um, and that that's generally through blood loss. Um, a cut wound bleeds fast, you know, and so that's why archery is so lethal. You know, the, that, that sharp razor cut bleeds extremely fast and animals bleed out very quickly. Bullets kill by tearing a hole. Um and you know the 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 larger that tear is the the quicker the blood loss happens um so there's there's i guess a couple theories out there two main theories you know the the highly explosive bullet that creates a very large wound channel right off the get-go um or uh, a wound channel that goes further through the animal um maybe not as big at the beginning but stays bigger all the way through. Um, 
creating a, a large moon channel. Um, you know, and, and then and there's a talk, you know, of permanent wound channel and temporary wound channels, you know, that that um, vital tissue is fairly elastic, you know, so it'll kind of stretch and then recover from that impact. Um, but that permanent wound channel is where that blood loss comes from. So with our design, we intend to shed the nose of the bullet. You know, you, you see a lot of marketing out there from from other companies that show that that nice pretty uh clover leaf bullet that has retained all of its weight um it, it looks good but it it's not as it's it's not as lethal um the whole you know if i could make a magic bullet it would it would change from its ballistic form to its terminal form instantly on the impact and then never lose a single foot per second as it passed through the animal. Um, that, you know, the, the speed of that projectile moving through the soft tissue is tearing the hole. So the slower that projectile gets as it passes through the less damage it's doing. Um, so that, that would be the intent behind having the nose shed. Um, you know, and that was that was our sole, um, what I want to say, our goal in designing a bullet was to get that nose to shed. And we really didn't care much about that shed weight. We were all about the final form of that bullet after impact, nice and square flat on the front, um, not not rounded. Yeah, I'm. I like that. I want to expand on it. I I was curious about that exact uh, point of why why have that no shed and as you mentioned other monos who want to have those pretty petals and that expansion uh, but remain intact i was curious if the the goal of shedding petals was to kind of broaden the impact of the bullet so those petals are moving out within the game and causing some level of damage but it sounds like it's actually more getting getting that nose out of the way that nose is what's helping it be uh, ballistically efficient from like an external ballistics perspective and fly well. Mm -hmm. But then as you said, getting that out of the way and having this uh, blunt, then square, still mass of a bullet penetrating that's for terminal performance. So is it correct to say that you're, you're not shedding pedals, if you will, for the ballistic performance of those pedals, but actually just to for the get terminal them end of it. Yeah, so yeah, sorry, for the terminal end of the performance of those shed pedals? We, do, we can't discount that, that shed weight. Um, it, those, you know, those shed pedals, they'll generally, with our bullet, we don't, we don't score them in any way. The hole is, is dead center, um, so it'll do what it does. It'll generally peel like a banana in you know, three or four pedals. Um, with the with the copper that we use, we can control that weight retention based on the depth of our hollow point. Um, and, and, and that same weight retention will happen whether it's high or low impact velocities. Um, you know, and, and you can't discount those shed pedals. They're kind of like, um, you know, three or four little bullets going off and doing their thing as well. Um, but the that shed weight stays... Um, fairly large in its, in its pieces, uh, so to speak. Um, so that you don't have that, uh, that huge, um, 
meat loss, you know, from all the tiny little pieces going everywhere and destroying all kinds of meat. Um, you know, and then the other thing that can't be discounted is the shock that happens when that bullet opens and sheds. Um, you know, we've become more aware of that over the last few years, you know, the, the bullets that, um, that open up, you know, with a, with a fair amount of weight loss, you know, in, in our book, you know, a fair amount is, you know, 60, 60, 70% weight retention. Um, but that shock is fantastic. You know, you can't, you can't overlook that. Um, and that shock happens when, you know, when that bullet opens rapidly, you know, as soon as possible. Is there, what have you found in, in that? Um, I'm sure it's depending on what it's impacting terminally, but what would you say is like average for, uh, that wound channel to begin to open in terms of depth of penetration? Uh, it, it depends on how fast the impact is. The faster the impact, the faster the bullet um, will will deform. Um, you know, there's there's some marketing out there that talks about bullets that impact and and penetrate three inches and then and then uh, open up. You know, it, it's a great marketing scheme, but bullets don't have. Uh, they don't have a sensor in them that tells them when they've when they've penetrated three inches and now is the time to to blow up. Um, the the faster that bullet impacts, the faster it happens. Um, you know, the slower it impacts, the the longer it takes for it to happen. Um, so it, it our goal is is the quickest possible deformation of the bullet, and then that retained shank to straight line penetrate the rest of the way. You talked before about you just tend to naturally be a behind the shoulder, long shooter. Uh, there certainly are guys out there, especially shooting monos or copper because they like how, how they can hold up to bone impact. Do you recommend shot placement for your bullets or do you find them sufficient for guys who want to shoot behind the shoulder guys who want to shoot high shoulder uh, would you advise one way or the other, not for preference, but for the optimal performance of your bullet? Uh, they'll perform well either way. Um, it, so, and I'm under the heat of the moment, I'm a natural behind the shoulder shooter just because that's how I was trained by my father. But, you know, if, if, if I need to shoot into a shoulder for a quartering shot or something like that, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, we still see very little meat loss if we hit into a shoulder. Our bullets don't fall under that um, that that general consensus that people have. You know, if you shoot a mono, you got to hit bone or it won't work. You know, we don't we don't have that issue. They'll they'll work just fine without a bone impact, but with a bone impact, they still will work just fine. Um, that that retained that retained piece of copper will will go through heavy bone uh, without any trouble. You mentioned on velocity, and obviously the, the faster it's moving, the quicker it's going to deform uh, and have that terminal performance. What is recommended minimum velocity for performance, and does that vary much based off of you know the exact model you're shooting, be it uh, caliber or weight? We test all of our bullets down to 1,800 feet per second, um, and... In in all honesty, once we have impact testing uh, at eighteen hundred or below, we don't try to see how low each bullet will go. Um, 
I'd say it's it's the only place that we inflict our opinion on our customers is that that minimum impact velocity um, it, it, for you know your your standard high high velocity calibers. Um, we feel like eighteen hundred is a good minimum for good quick terminal performance. You know, there's 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 guys out there that are comfortable with lower velocity than that. Um, and so what I tell our customers, if you're comfortable with lower than that, then you should test that bullet out to what you're comfortable with and make sure that it's doing what it should do. You know, and whether that's and I tell people that whether that's our bullet or any bullet, you should you should test that. I I, I wouldn't take anybody's word for how low a bullet will go. Um, it's pretty easy to make a claim for a very low threshold of, of terminal performance. Most guys will never get it. Uh, they'll never get that shot and, and chances are they won't recover the bullet either. You mentioned earlier with the copper that you use specifically, I'm curious just in product development and obviously what you've settled on today, what did you guys, as you began to work with copper and develop bullets what did you find out about working with copper? Did you guys land on something that worked well right away? Did you kind of have to work through weighing some pros and cons of different formulations of the metal uh, and compositions of the material? What was that like? It was uh, way more difficult than we ever thought it was going to be. We thought we'd just go get some good pure copper and life was going to be great. Um, and it, and it, it didn't happen that way. And, and, in all honesty, if we had known how hard it was going to be to find a copper that would do what we wanted, I don't know if we would have started this. We, we, we literally went through thousands of pounds of copper trying to find one that would do what we wanted. Um, it, it, uh, and I'd, I'd, we, we found the copper that we currently use, um, I'd say, by 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 divine or luck or whatever you want to say uh, when we found the copper that we use now um, it, it changed everything um, you know it, it the the original coppers that we started with they all seemed to work great at high velocity but low velocity was difficult to get the copper to do what, what we needed it to do um, you know we we tried we tried annealing the copper we tried all kinds of things and it, it just it wouldn't work and uh, definitely not a metallurgist, but boy, I found myself diving hard into different coppers trying to figure out, you know, this copper did this, but this wouldn't, the next one wouldn't do that. And, and trying to figure out what copper would do this. Um, it was, it was tough and you can't just get a piece of copper that's not, you know, within the standard coppers out there. You just can't get a piece to test. You, you know, yeah, we can get you some of that copper, but your minimum order is going to be a thousand pounds. <laughs> That's so, a few bullets. Oh, it was, you know, and so I'd research and research, and then we'd, we'd go, okay, well, we think this copper will do it. Let's go ahead and, and order some. And then, you know, it, yeah, we, 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 we marketed with a couple different coppers before we reached the one that we've been using for the last mm, four years. Um, and, and they worked, but they just weren't quite what we wanted. And then when we found the alloy, alloy that we use now, um, it, it changed everything. Uh, we, we could then 
control, you know, and I talked earlier about it, controlling the weight retention of the bullet based on how deep we put the hollow point. Um, we, we couldn't do that with other coppers, you know, and high velocity impacts, they pretty much all work pretty well. Um, but the low velocity impacts, um, they, that, that's much, much tougher. Um, and we learned a lot of things, impact testing that we thought we knew, but we were wrong. You know, low, low velocity impacts penetrate further than high velocity impacts. Um, you know, uh, there was one copper that we tried that um, you'd have to put the hollow point fairly shallow for the low velocity impacts or the bullet would tear into uh, three or four pieces, you know, all the way to the base, you know, so you'd have to shallow that hole, but then sometimes it wouldn't do what you needed on the high velocity. Um, and so it, it, it became quite a quest. What does that testing look like? How do you, I'm sure you could go deep and you don't necessarily have to, but like for guys who are hearing that about curious and velocity testing and what medium and things like that, just like a high level, what, how does that look for you guys? You know, before we ever started making bullets, Brian and I were both, I guess maybe some of those weird guys that we were impact testing different bullets just because we wanted to see what they would do, you know, and, and, Oh, years before we ever got into making bullets, we were catching bullets in milk jugs, you know, so you'd put up the line of milk jugs, you know, five or 10 milk jugs deep and, and try to get a bullet to stop in a milk jug so we could see what it, see what it had done. Um, a, a great, I always use this analogy, farm boy, because that's kind of what we call ourselves, you know, the, the farm boy media test, a, a great one is just a single milk jug with a, a box of uh, newspaper behind it to stop it. Um, and so the average guy can set that up pretty easy, you know, a, a single milk jug with a box of paper, newspaper behind it, you know, and uh, what, what you want to, you want to see that bullet take care of its business in that single milk jug. Um, you know, if it's taking care of business further out than that single milk jug, then it's too late. You know, you think about the, the thickness of a deer, yeah, they're not a whole lot thicker than a milk jug. One thing I think might be different, and I was not even fully aware of this until I, until I started reaching monos more specifically, is just how they're built. And they're not all built the same, but can you talk about how you take copper material and turn it into a bullet? I mean, the, the precision in terms of like CNC machining and all that, which you kind of mentioned in passing earlier, having <laughs> a CNC in your garage, but... Like, give us a high level of what it takes to go from material to bullet, um, at least for your process. Well, we we started, you know, everything great starts in a garage, right? Yeah. Um, so my, my garage got turned into a machine shop, um, and it, my wife wasn't very happy about it, but she kind of got over it. Um, but, you know, and we've since moved into a, a larger shop and using uh, a different type of CNC now. We, we started with just a, a simple two-axis lathe um now we're using um a, a swiss style screw machine um which you know production capability is much higher precision is better um so it uh i guess to describe how that that machine works you know it, the copper the raw copper is in 12 foot long bars 
Um, and we use, you know, several different size bars depending on the caliber of the, of the bullet. Um, and so the Swiss machine has a, a, a 12 foot bar loader on it. So th- those 12 foot pieces of copper are loaded in whole. And then that, that rod is fed into, um, into the CNC and the, and the, and the whole, that whole 12 foot rod or however long it is after bullets have been taken off of it, that whole rod is spinning. Um, and so the, the, the Z axis uh, on the lathe is the rod and the rod is fed to the, the cutting tools. Um, and so the, the cutting is all taking place right at the collet, which gets rid of, uh, um, tool deflection and things like that. So the, the precision, the precision of, of the, the bullet is, is better. Um, we, we hold, a two ten thousandths tolerance on our bullets, which is crazy tight. Um, you know, I, I always say machinists are kind of weird you get carried away with these, these dimensions, you know, and you start thinking, Oh geez, I'm, it's, it's five ten thousandths out. The fact is you can't even see five ten thousandths. <laughs> um, you know, but you start getting carried away with the numbers, you know, and you go, Oh my God, that is, we're, we're so far out of spec. Uh, you know, and, in all reality, you can't even see it, but but we do hold that two ten thousands. We want we want them as, as perfect as we can get them. Hmm. And you, I did see on the website, your each bullet is weighed and measured as it's produced. And again, that's saying each bullet is that correct? Yeah, it's pretty correct. It's not as not as correct anymore because our equipment now is better at it than it used to be. Yeah, uh, the original lathe, I did literally sit there and measure every bullet as it came off, um, and and would have to chase that machine throughout the day because it would it would fluctuate in its uh, in its size uh, as as it got hotter and and things like that. The equipment we use now will will hold that two ten thousand tolerance for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, we do still check, you know, periodically throughout, uh, throughout production to make sure that everything stays, you know, there's tool wear will is just a given it happens. Um, you know, and then there's thermal fluctuation, but with the, with the Swiss machine, it's, it's so big and heavy that the thermal, the thermal changes once that machine has reached up to, uh, you know, it's working temperature just, stays um you know and still the bullets are every bullet is is hand inspected to make sure that the 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 hollow point is is proper and things like that i want to transition to talking a little bit about um those external ballistics performance when we head on the terminal ballistics but i want to dive into bc and a little bit of things like that but the to make that transition i know that you're bullet design is patented and so one i want to know what's patented is it materials is it designed is it proportions what have you and then maybe part of that is and i'm not going to use the correct term for this design but you have ridges essentially within the bullet and so i want to hear about both of those what's patented um and then what are these uh, ridges built within the bullet and what does that do for performance so our our patent is is on that on that bearing surface that you see that's on radius. Um, 
And those basically are drive bands. We're not the first ones to make a drive band bullet. Um, and so I should probably back up a little bit. You know, um, the there's there's grooved bullets and there's drive band bullets and and then different variations of that. You know, and Bar- Barnes is the granddaddy of of the copper bullets, and they put grooves in their bullet to solve the pressure issues that are seen in copper bullets. You know, the 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 million dollar question's always been how big around do you make a copper bullet so that it'll seal the bore, but not create pressure issues. You know, and, and then there's tolerances within barrels and bullets. Um, you know, so a, a, a tight board gun would create too much pressure with a copper bullet. Um, you know, and, and I guess to back up for again for just a sec, you know, lead bullets will obturate to fit the the barrel. Uh, so a tight barrel that that lead will squish or or squeeze down to fit, or in a a loose a loose bore, uh, the pressure behind the bullet will cause it to expand to fill that barrel. So the the the, the issues with copper bullets, you know, they they would shoot great out of some rifles. Some rifles pressure would be too high, and some rifles you just could never get accuracy out of. So the, those tight bores would would create too much pressure, and those loose bores, you know, for lack of a better term, that bullet kind of rattles its way down the barrel, and you can't ever get any good accuracy. So our our design we set out to solve that, you know, and, and the the grooves that you know have in other bullets help reduce that bearing surface to to reduce some of that that pressure that's created since the copper is a harder material than lead. And so in, in our quest for the better bullet and, and different bullets that we tried, you know, we found the drive band bullets and, and they do, they do work better. Um, you know, low, lower pressures, higher velocities, those kinds of things. And then we took that drive band design and put it on a radius. Um, so what you would call the the bumps on our bullets, those are the drive bands. And prior drive band bullets were just kind of square, you know, up, over, down, square, square bands. Um, and we put them on a radius. And by being on a radius, the outside diameter of that drive band is very finite in the amount of material it's making contact. So what that allowed us to do is make the bullet bigger than caliber without creating any extra pressure. So we we cut our bullets at at uh, five ten thousandths over caliber. So if you're shooting a, a, a 308 caliber bullet, we our bullets are 3085, and so the that net result is. In tight barrels, we don't have any extra pressure. In loose barrels, we're still f- sealing the the bore, and and still getting great accuracy. Um, so it, it it solved that issue. That was our that was our biggest goal was to be able to solve that issue of 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 the mono. That design is part of what's patented, then. Yes, that's that's exactly what we patented was the the radius the radius on on those drive bands. Um, you know, and 
in that patent process, you know, we sat down to do that and you have to go through prior art and all that kind of stuff. It was amazing to look at the, the patents that were, that are previously there, man, there's some wild stuff that was patented and it was all done a hundred years ago. Uh, you know, the radio, the radius drive band, um, I'd be willing to bet somebody thought of it before, but couldn't do it, you know, and the advent of CNC made makes that possible, you know, so we, we were able to get that patent. So the, I kept, when I first heard of hammer, I, was looking into monos in general and was aware of barns and headshot barns and uh, even some other monos from other big names. I was looking into monos further in depth, saw hammer, and it just kept coming up how consistent they were, how easy they were to load, um, how accurate they were, etc. And it was one of those things where I was like, ah, I don't know, maybe this is just all online stuff. I got to try it for myself type deal. Um, and my experience was completely that, and we can talk about it. But what you just said about you know, being able to have a bullet that is consistent in both tight, tighter chambers, loose uh, chambers because of this dry band. That makes a ton of sense. Obviously, consistency isn't one thing. It's, you know, what you talked about earlier in terms of consistency and weight and tolerances and all that. But do you think that that's that patented radius dry band is like one of the things that makes your bullet so consistent and accurate? I do. You know, when we first did it, you know, um, you know, I've got a target hanging on the wall here that is just a sheet of paper with an X drawn on it. That was the very first target we ever shot a bullet at. Uh, we we cut our first bullet and I cut a bunch of them and I loaded them and I headed up headed up the road into the woods and put a target on a stump and shot it. I wasn't even wasn't even sure if they were going to come out of the barrel good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, anyhow, I was just, you know, shooting off the tailgate of the pickup, you know, and I've got this target here that's got, I don't know, seven or eight holes in it. And most of them are in, in one ragged hole. And uh, I ran down off the hill and called my partner and said, they shoot. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we did a little further testing, you know, and, and then actually had to hit the brakes at that point and decided that we needed to patent what we'd done. Um, we were, we were just going to head to market, you know, you guys were telling us, oh, you know, patent is worthless. It's only worth the paper it's written on all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, but it was, it was working so well, we felt we, we just had to. So we hit the brakes and, and had a, a friend that helped us through the patent process and, and we got that done, you know, and, um, you know, our goal was to, to solve those, those pressure issues that happen with copper bullets, you know, and, and out of that design came this crazy, easy accuracy. Um, I've, I've never loaded a bullet that is as easy to develop a load for as, as our bullet. And, uh, I, I, I wish I could say that, yeah, we knew it would be like that. We didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was this side bonus benefit of, of that design, you know, and I, I, I analogize it kind of like uh, like the bullet has this these shock absorbers on it, you know, and uh, it, it because that that outside diameter of of those drive bands is so finite in the material, it uh, it's easy for it to um, what I want to say conform to the barrel and come out consistently the same all the time. 
makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i do want to come back and hit bc but now i'm just curious on loading uh for listeners let's share my experience and you know this steve i got some bolts from you started with looking at okay picking a powder and then some sort of recommended uh weight charges and i just wanted to find where pressure was so i i loaded six or seven you know half grain increments i basically found where i was getting pressure backed off of that um so i had loaded six or seven bullets at that point i then proceeded to load not being picky on seating depth or anything like that i just picked that point in terms of powder charge where i could back off a of pressure and have a good uh, safe load that was still flying well um, in terms of speed and literally just shot three, uh, four rounds. It, the results were unbelievable. And I was like, how? Because I had the same thing, like reading on hammers and my own research well before I even talked to you, I just kept seeing how easy it was to develop a load and they weren't picky on seating performance. And, you know, I know that you have a guarantee that if you know, you're not happy with how the bullets shoot, you guys essentially buy them back. But like, I have that first for myself experience where I was like, that was too freaking easy to develop a load with this bullet. Um, obviously we talked about the design and why it's consistent and can be that, but do you have an answer I'm that I was curious about personally? Why are, bullet, why are your bullets not sensitive to seeding depth? Do you have an answer for that? I, I guess I have to kind of speculate on it, you know, and it, I think probably two things play into it. One, you know, the, they're they're consistent in their size because of the, the CNC machining, and two is is our drive band design. You know, the that that radius radius drive band um, is easy on on the engraving pressure. So that initial startup pressure that happens. Um, is is um it's it's not as drastic as other bullets um so it 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 winds up being this bullet that's just super forgiving um you know it i think that's the best way i can describe it um they certainly don't mind jumping um you know as a hunter you know I, i i don't ever load bullets touching the lands um, just, I, I used to do that and I had a primer failure one time and stuck the bullet in the bore and watched a rather large mule deer go away while I was trying to figure out what happened. And by the time I figured it out, I was trying to take my kid's gun away from him and the deer was gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyhow, um, that, that tolerance to the seating depth is, you know, at first, you know, we just kind of thought, well, okay, that that just was easy, and but it, it consistently stayed easy all the time, and I have to attribute it to to that drive band design. Um, you know, I, I've gotten so lazy now, I I really don't pay attention to how far off the lands I am, um, as long as I'm not touching. If you know, in most rifles, you I, you can't reach the lands because the magazine winds up being the limiter in your overall length. Um, but if I can reach the lands, then I will start 20 thousandths off just because it's a nice number. Um, you know, and you know, your, your loading experience is pretty typical. You know, you, you, you start out with, with a, 
an overall length that fits and load it up, find pressure, back off, and usually we're done at that point. We're zeroing the rifle and, and heading off to confirm drops. Um, sometimes, you know, some rifles are pickier than others, you know, so our method that we use is we just start with the longest overall length that will function properly in the rifle without touching the lands. And the, I'm a keep it simple, stupid guy. And my, my, the method to my madness there is that if I start with that overall longest length I can, then if I need to make a seating depth adjustment to get that rifle to shoot as, as well as it should, I'm left with only one way to go, and that's to work the seating depth deeper. That that way I don't have to go, okay, well, should we get closer to the lands or should we get further away? Which way do we go? I'm left with only one way to work, you know, and, and we'll just work that seating depth um, deeper, you know, in, in oh, 15 thou at a time until the until the rifle groups up. Yeah, I, I was literally, you know, had loaded less than a dozen rounds and was shooting sub half minute groups and that's no exaggeration and i'm not even that's not from a bench i'm not trying to be a bench rush shooter i'm not saying i can shoot sub half minute groups all day every day but that was my experience with the first group that i fired um after finding pressure which hadn't <laughs> had not been the case with other bullets i'll put it that way um so i was just yeah i was personally shocked by that um one thing that came up as well and this is me partially scratching my own itch on curiosity. And then it, it is something that I see come up um, that you get questions on is you recommended uh, Magnum primers, even to me, which I'm shooting non-Magnum caliber. Um, so why, why do you recommend that for low development? So it, the idea behind the Magnum primer is that, that initial engraving pressure um, because it's low with our bullet, I prefer to start a, a, with a magnum primer because it just kind of gets everything started a little bit quicker and, and gets that pressure started um and and we'll generally see a, a more consistent load that way um I, i'm not as adamant about the magnum primer as i used to be particularly in in small cartridges but we do always always start with a magnum primer whatever we're loading um sometimes with smaller cartridges you'll see um early false pressure signs um and and if we see that kind of thing then we'll switch to a a standard large rifle primer and that that'll generally take care of it um but yeah the the, the magnum primer just gets that that initial start happening quicker what about copper fouling you know it's Again, maybe if guys are researching monos and looking at copper for the first time, and they might have questions, reservations about fouling. What has your been your experience with your bullets and anything from, say, transitioning from another type of bullet to then doing low development for your bullet and kind of conditions of uh, barrel and bore there to you know ongoing um, experiences with copper fouling with shooting your bullets consistently. So with with the hammers, we see little to no copper fouling. Um, and, and that, that also has to do with that radius drive band design, you know, so we've got on the outside diameter, very little contact being made in the, in the groups. And then, you know, on, on the lands, you know, the, the, 
the valley between our drive bands, um, we cut that valley deeper than bore diameter. So in the valley, we're not act, we're not making any contact with with the with the lands. Um, so that allows that when that rifling in, uh, engraves the bullet, it allows a space between those bands to deposit that displaced copper. So we're not dragging it all the way through the, through the barrel. Um, and you know that you know that was one of the things you know in our quest for the copper that we that we're using. You know we we decided that we needed softer copper to to get what we needed. So we specced at the mill a, a softer copper, and we were we were worried that it was going to cause fouling problems by going to that soft of a copper. Um, but we were willing to deal with copper fouling in order to get the terminal performance we're after you know that terminal performance has always been the overriding deal it's got it has to do what we want and we wouldn't give up anything else for it and uh much to our um our pleasure we didn't we still didn't see the copper fouling um and literally we see less copper fouling than we see with jacketed bullets spec i want you to hit on we were talking within the last week or two, and it wasn't even the context of having this conversation or this podcast, but you were talking about copper bullets and BC and kind of like your struggle personally and what you were looking for and kind of wanting it all. Uh, you want to mm-hmm. elaborate on that, and then we'll we'll chat with Steve about some of those topics. Yeah, I mean, I think you can blame it all on your ballistics app because uh, it's so easy to simulate hmm. different bullets, right? plug in the weight, plug in the velocity, you know, like I'm Googling, like, okay, what does, you know, I, I asked, emailed Steve, like, well, what's the, the 124 shoot out of a Creedmoor and a PRC? And so you can get those velocities, plug it in, plug in the BC, and then just look at your drop and, and wind drift at different distances. And it's really, really easy to go down that trap of um, just chasing a high BC bullet because it's very, very tempting when you're looking at, you know, four or five inches less of wind drift at 500 yards and, couple inches less drop and um you know drops one thing um you know it's nice to have a flat shooting bullet with range finders and being able to dial you can kind of offset that but wind drift's a a big deal Mm -hmm. um but yeah so it's just it's a you can really go down a wormhole and start chasing like because the you throw in a bullet that's got a high bc and it the numbers look really really good but i think as steve just indicated like first and foremost it's terminal performance that matters um, and I think it's hard. It's, you know, I get, I know the reality for me is most shots are going to be between a hundred and 400 yards. Um, so, and, and BC doesn't matter all that much inside of that. You know, it seems to me about 500 yards is where you really start seeing a difference between, you know, small changes in BC. So, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a easy trap to go down of, uh, just chasing that. And, and I'm, I wonder, you know, there's a lot of guys shooting like match bullets and stuff out there. And I don't know if they're just chasing BC. I mean, it, it's, uh, Steve, is your general assumption match bullets are kind of thinner and blow up faster on, on reaching the animal? Or is that not a true assessment? Um, I think, I think it can go either way. Oh, know, really? It, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, a guy spends enough time online, you know, and you hear everything. Yeah, but I mean, sometimes they 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 don't open up 
sometimes they open up too much. Um, sometimes they work great. Um, you know, I, it, so it, I, ne- I personally never shot any match bullets at animals. Um, it didn't fit my philosophy on, on what a bullet should do. Um, you know, and that, that BC, um, yeah, it, it's, a from the consumer end of it, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. It's been marketed pretty heavily by some of those, um, you know, match bullet companies, you know, and, and, and marketing those bullets for hunting. Um, and, and you're right, you know, out to, you know, depending on what, what kind of cartridge you're shooting, you know, five, 600 yards, it's almost doesn't matter. Um, beyond that, you know, so the true long range guys, yes, BC becomes pretty important. Um, you know, and, and, and the fact is, you know, physics are physics, you know, I can't, we can't make a copper bullet to have the same kind of BC as, as a lead bullet. Um, copper is 20% lighter than lead. So, you know, and BC is made by weight, weight, you know, there's only so much you can do with the form or the shape of the bullet, but weight makes BC. If it's heavier, it's going to have better BC. Um, you know, and then we, we chased that BC quite a bit, you know, as long range guys, we, we tried, we tried one millimeter hollow points, um, and had some not such good results on game. Um, and we kind of abandoned it and then we came up with another design and we had, we were having good testing in media. And I guess, fortunately we had, that was in the winter time and we had some deprivation elk tags. And so we, we took that bullet out and did some real life testing on elk and had less than stellar performance. Um, and then the following weekend, we went back with our 1.5 millimeter hollow point, which is in our Hammer Hunter line, and had uh, basically the same shots in the same place, and had stellar performance. And that was that was the end of chasing that that higher BC, you know. And we do we give up some BC because we have a relatively large hollow point in our high BC line of bullets. Um, but again, the terminal performance matters more than the BC. I just I, we won't give that up. You know, I I, I really don't want to get that call from a guy that says, "Hey, I, I shot an animal and I lost it because your bullet didn't work right." You mentioned BC's increases, weight increases, um, which is something we've talked about to parallel that it's typical um recommendation that guys can slash should step down and wait when going from a, a conventional bullet cup and core type deal to a mono so those those two things are opposing odds to begin with of copper is lighter you need more copper more weight to have a higher bc at the same time it's also common when going to copper to go to a lighter weight bullet why is it that coppers, you know, often recommended to step down and wait? Uh, is that to retain velocity for that expansion or what's really at play there? Cause you see guys doing it all the time. 
the there's marketing out there that says you know you can uh, shoot a copper bullet faster and 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 whatnot you know but really it comes back down to that physics and, and stabilization you know and we're we are really sticky on that stabilization you know i don't i really don't want people shooting our bullets for hunting with marginal stability you can get that to fly pretty good but terminal performance can suffer you can have a bullet that that is is in a yaw on impact and might tumble after impact or not straight line penetrate you know and and if you think about that hollow point you know all bullets are a hollow point of some kind you know some of them have a tip in the hole uh, some of them have lead sticking out of that hole or an open hole like ours um, but you need fluid in the hollow point to make the bullet expand from the inside out and if you think about a you know the hole in the bullet if it hits at a bit of an angle well then the hole suddenly got smaller the amount of the amount of uh, surface area to allow that fluid in gets smaller as the angle of the bullet changes um, and so I think that's where, you know, in chasing those smaller hollow points, we didn't see great performance because just it's harder to get that fluid in the hole. Hmm. Um, so, it, it, you know, the, the stability, the stability factor on the bullet. So the, the heavier a bullet is for the length of the bullet, the less twist is required to properly stabilize it. Um, so you think about it like a spinning top. You know, the, the short, fat top will spin at a lower velocity and stay straight than a taller, skinnier top. has to spin faster in order to stay stable. So with the less density of a, of a copper bullet versus a lead bullet, you can't make it any bigger around, right? Because it won't fit in the, in the, in the barrel. Uh, so the only way you can get heavier is to make it longer, which then means it needs more twist in order to be stable. So I think some of the marketing out there has been, you know, shoot a lighter bullet with copper, you know, get the speed up. But really what it comes down to is, is stabilization, you know, and the the standard twist rates for different calibers have been established for a very long time. And you can't, you know, let's say uh, in, in a 25 cal, 257, um, that's uh, the standard twist for the 25 cals has been a 10 twist, which is relatively very slow compared to everything else. And, you know, with our bullets, you know, in, in our hammer hunter line, the, the, the more aerodynamic or the higher BC type bullet, um, the heaviest we can make and, and have a, a, a nice nose and a, and a nice boat tail is 92 grains that'll stabilize in that 10 twist. Um, but a lead core bullet of, of that same kind of dimension will come in around 100 grains. Um, and so it, it, it just becomes the physics of it, you know, so you know with with that said you know yes you wind up running a little lighter bullet in order to be stable um and so you i guess the 
you you gain some velocity out of that lighter bullet, you know, and then with with our bullets, you know, you gain a little more velocity yet with the drive band design. Um, so you you can make up with speed some of the loss of the BC, uh, but mm-hmm. at some point in time, that heavier, higher BC bullet will always outrun the lower BC lighter bullet. Uh, it's the rabbit, the rabbit and the turtle race. You know, the rabbit, the rabbit always loses. The turtle catches it at some point, but often it's it's further downrange than than most guys are shooting. Yeah, than is usable. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in passing the hunter line. I guess it's worth uh, hitting on. You do have a few different types or designs of bullets, and not just mm-hmm. a bullet. Um, for uh, this audience, primarily is hunters, but um, you know you have the hunter line itself, and then some other ones that um, you know with a different hollow point. Maybe talk about some of the differences and how to choose among the different designs there. Sure. So the the hammer hunter line would be our 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 low drag higher bc design and then we have our shock hammers which really are not designed with any bc in mind they're they're designed to be just the perfect normal range hunting bullet which really covers the vast majority of hunters um you know and we talked earlier you know the the marketing has pushed bc to the forefront you know and and so guys are looking for high BC bullets when a lot of them really don't need it. But, you know, and and I, I'm no different than anybody else. I get stuck into that too, you know. I, um, so I, I I personally lean towards the Hammer Hunter bullet. They're, they're, they're sexier. Um, but the, the Hammer Hunters, they are all the 1.5 millimeter hollow point, you know, shorter bearing surface, longer boat tails, longer nose length. Um, that kind of thing. Um, the, the shock hammer line, they will reach more typical weights for caliber, um, because they're a shorter nose design, shorter boat tail, longer bearing surface. And, and we can get closer to, you know, your standard weights for, for twist. Um, you know, and, and, and if a guy is staying under that 500 yard mark, the shock hammer, um, we'll, we'll do everything you need. Uh, the, the, like we talked earlier, the BC just doesn't really kick in. Um, you know, and then we also, we haven't, we haven't marketed it much yet, but I've got a few of them on the website and we can do it with any of the hammer hunters. We have what we call our dead blow hammer. Um, and basically that's, uh, you know, we, we went into that design because of, there's a, a, a fair segment of hunters that want that quote energy dump. And so it's, it's a, a lower weight retention bullet. We, we basically put that hollow point in deeper, you know, so, you know, the typical hammer hunter is a 70% weight retention bullet. The shock hammers are typically 80 to 90% weight retention, depending on the nose length. And then with that dead blow hammer, it'll be closer to a, a 40 to 50% weight retention which is still pretty good weight retention, but there's that more shed weight, you know, and, and so you get that, that larger, uh, when I want to say shock or, or shedding of weight right off the get go uh, on impact. Um, and anyhow, so, you know, at this point, you know, I haven't, haven't had time to put those dead blows 
on the website, but any of the hammer hunters can be done that way. So I'll have guys that place an order that want them in that dead blow version and they'll order that hammer hunter and just put a note in the order saying, Hey, make these in a dead blow and we'll just make a run with, with the deeper hollow point. Steve, you got any lingering questions that we didn't hit in this one? Man, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm excited to uh, get out and try them. They seem to be uh, everything that I was looking for, you know? Um, so that I've, we kind of documented that the deer I lost on Kodiak last year. And I think it's because I was at a high angle and didn't get penetration, uh, through the opposite side, you know, so I had no blood trail to go off of. And, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I can see the argument on both sides of it, but I just, my personal preference. And I think obviously a lot heavily comes from the archery side is I just want full penetration and two blood trails to, to find the animal and, and retain as much meat as I can. I mean, that's, I'm a meat hunter and, uh, just seeing, uh, seeing animals blown up. I can't, I'll go back to that. Uh, when we were in Alaska last year and Jared shot that Fox and it, granted it was super close, but they literally ripped a Fox in half. And I was just like, man, if you're trying to kill that thing for meat, you lost half the animal. I mean, it was insane. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, all, everything kind of aligns, um, uh, with what my vision is for a bullet. So excited to get it, shoot it and, and put some real world, real world practice behind it. Yeah. That that's exactly that. What you just described is exactly how we ended up here. Um, you know, I remember shooting an antelope one time and recovering that antelope, and I was able to cut it in half with my pocket knife. And it was just like, <laughs> this is this is terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and some guys don't care about that, but you know, I I I personally hunt, and and I intend to eat what I hunt. And I don't want to leave any of it behind. Um, but yeah, it, um, we, we set out to make what this bullet and right now I feel like we, we made our goals. We've got this bullet that kills really well and we're not blowing our animals up and, uh, you know, and lead free, you know, I guess I say it all the time, you know, I, there is no good reason to eat lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For guys, Steve, to wrap up, obviously guys can uh, check out the website. You are super responsive in terms of if guys have questions, they can email, call you direct, all that info is straight on the website, which is just hammerbullets.com. Um, there's helpful information on every product in terms of recommended twists and all that. So guys can get those answers for sure and, and contact you directly. I'm sure there's some guys who are intrigued by this uh, discussion would be interested in trying to hammer, but don't hand load or reload for themselves yet. Are there any ways to get loaded ammunition with hammer bullets? Yeah, there's a, there's a few ways. Um, We do custom ammunition. Um, It's, it's, I'm not sure we make any money at it, but it is kind of expensive. Um, Guys send us a rifle. We take it out and we develop a load, take it to that rifle, and then ship it back with a minimum purchase of 100 rounds of ammunition. Um, you know, depending depending on what that cartridge is and the cost of components, um, you know, the, the load development, we charge $350 and then the ammunition on top of that for a typical 100-round purchase it winds up being you know eight or nine hundred bucks for a hundred rounds but it's tailored to that rifle um 
and then there's we've got there's a couple other companies that do some custom type ammunition that are using our bullets quite a bit. There's some superior ammunition and unknown munitions. So guys can contact those companies and uh, they'll, they'll put together loads uh, for guys to use. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we went to shot show last year with one major goal in mind, and that was to get an ammunition line to get into um, left shot show a little discouraged. We've, kind of found that there's a giant race to the bottom and not very many people on the race to the top, you know, and, and seems like most of these companies, if it's not cheap enough, they don't want to do it. Um, so I don't know. At some point we're going to have a, a line of ammunition, but I, I have a strong feeling we're going to wind up making it ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting you hit on price, even just in terms of the bullets, you know, one thing that stood out to me when looking is like, well, this isn't, the cheapest option out there, even just on, on the bullet perspective. And obviously we've talked about, um, the consistency and the production. And I understand more of where that cost is coming from, even from that. But the other thing I would just personally add is my experience loading these and load development saves so much time and components that there's a little bit of an offset there in terms of paying a little bit more upfront for something that's super easy to develop and very forgiving, uh, versus spending a lot of time components and frustration trying to develop or find a load that will work um so there's a huge benefit i see to that as well typically we get load development in a lot less shots than we've ever seen with any other bullets so yeah your upfront cost is is higher but for most guys you know the end by the time they've got a load done you know and just like you you know done in in under 20 rounds of of work um you know, versus maybe a few hundred rounds with other bullets, um, you you may have spent more for the initial purchase, but in the end, you spent less. Um, you know, and you know the other thing is, is you know, I, I mean, guys will always quibble about price. You know, if a guy's shooting thousands and thousands of rounds a year, I understand not wanting to spend a, a dollar a bullet, but you know, for the normal hunter, you know, uh, that's uh, you know wearing $350 boots and a $400 jacket and a, you know, $5,000 rifle scope set up uh, to complain about spending 50 bucks for a box of bullets versus a hundred bucks for a box of bullets. When that hunt revolves around what that, you know, when you pull the trigger, that's the moment of truth, you know, and if that projectile doesn't do what it's supposed to do, man, it, it doesn't make sense for me to, to shortcut on, on, on a bullet. Absolutely. Well, again, if you guys have questions, uh, hammer bullets is the website, right? And then all the phone number, email, all that is on there. Any other information you want to leave guys with Steve? Yeah, no, I, um, my, my phone number is on the top page, top of the page of the website. I'm more than happy to take phone calls. Um, we also have our, our forum. There's a link from our website to that hammer time forum, um, uh, pretty small group of guys that, uh, not typical to other forums. There's no, there's nobody on there quibbling or fighting or calling people stupid and things like that. It's just a nice group of guys that, that talk about loading and hunting and things like that. Uh, so there's, there's a fair amount of information on that, on that little forum about the bullets and, and loading processes and things like that. Steve, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. 
Well, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. You got all the info there. You can check out hammerbullets.com. You can email them, give Steve a call. He's been super helpful to me as I've had questions about hammer bullets, have tried them in my own rifle, and worked on load development. And I got to say, the results so far are impressive, and I will continue to put them to use in the field this year. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or feedback to podcast at dexomountaingear.com, and we'll talk to you soon.